0: Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message.
1: Let me encourage you to uh, grab your Bibles now and uh, turn with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you a Bible. We do want you to follow along with us uh, as we study through the Scriptures. And uh, we are continuing our study through the book of Daniel. In fact, last week, I do want to thank uh, Pastor Tim for stepping in. He leads our senior study on Thursday afternoons, and uh, he just did a tremendous job giving us an overview and a recap of some of the main themes that we've studied so far through the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, and uh, looking at the sovereignty of God and uh, how God's intervention, uh, not only in our personal lives, but also just in, in history, that God is constantly involved in our lives to bring about his will and his purpose and his plan and we can trust him. And not only that, that God uses us in each of our generations to reach other people uh, through our faith and trust in him. And so I think uh, uh, Pastor Tim did a tremendous, wonderful job last week and I'm grateful for him. And uh, which, which, yeah, all right, good, yes, definitely. <clears throat> Encourage him, um, you know... Uh, I think uh, this month is uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, and so I'm just so grateful for the pastors and the elders and the and the leaders, servant leaders that we have here at the church who serve faithfully and just teach and preach God's word. It's not about any one person here; it's about um, the Lord Jesus Christ as the good shepherd and uh, His word that's transforming and changing changing people's lives. So. Uh, as we thank the youth, also thank Tim if you see him today as he comes in, and thank the other pastors that are here as well for their work and in, in ministry. Um, but uh, this also is an opportunity for us to transition into a new section of the book of Daniel, whereas the first six chapters are dealing with the story and the narrative that unfolds for Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their courageous faith as they were taken captive into Babylon, and then as Babylon was taken over by the Medes and the Persians, and we see the fulfillment of of prophecy, and uh, as well as just human history, the rise and the fall of certain kingdoms. And now as we transition into the, the last half of the book of Daniel, we're going to be talking about biblical prophecy, <clears throat> and um, the uh, title of the message today is uh, Future Worldly Kingdoms, and uh, what we see is the, the first of four visions and dreams that, <clears throat> excuse me, that was really loud probably, but <laughs> uh, get your attention. Um, I don't know if I have some water here, I do, yes, <clears throat> but... Um, we are going to see the first of four visions uh, that uh, Daniel has uh, going into these last six chapters of the book of Daniel. <clears throat> and um, what we see here really is, uh, well, really the main point that I would like us to focus in on for today as we read through Daniel chapter 7 and study it, and that is that human king- kingdoms fall to the rise of a divine king. Human kingdoms fall to the rise of a divine king. And we are going to see in this vision that Daniel has, in fact, it's, um, it's the same vision that King Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 3. And so what's interesting about the last half of the book of Daniel is that we're going to go back and see these events and these dreams take place during previous times in Daniel's service in the kingdom of Babylon, and so uh, we're going to see very simple outline for us as we read through and study this chapter. The first is we're going to see Daniel have a vision of four formidable beasts, and these be- beasts are a picture of these future kingdoms. And then secondly, we're going to see Daniel given a glimpse of the fiery throne room of heaven. Third, we're going to see an angel describe the characteristics of these future kingdoms. And then lastly, we're going to see the rise of an individual that we would call the Antichrist. And we see that, descri- his, his, um, uh, his nature and his work described in the book of Revelation, uh, as well as even Jesus verifies Daniel's prophecy uh, when he talks in uh, Mark chapter 13 and Uh, Matthew chapter 24, when he's asked about the end times and the events that uh, take place during the great tribulation period. So we're going to see the ferociousness of this Antichrist, the one who is waging war against God as his enemy, as well as the people of God. And so uh, there's a lot to get to. We're going to jump into our story, continuing on in Daniel Daniel chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 1. And in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. So we know that uh, this gives us a time step, Belshazzar back um, during this time, uh, he has this vision. So we're looking backwards, and uh, one thing to just to take note is uh, dreams and visions, and I know that's been a big part of the book of Daniel. And... You know, Daniel was given the ability to not only have dreams, but to interpret dreams. And he did that for King Nebuchadnezzar and even Belshazzar. But uh, I think it gives us an opportunity to just acknowledge that God can speak to us in many different ways. Primarily, he speaks to us through his word. That uh, in the book of Hebrews, we're told that in times past, God spoke to us through the prophets. But now he speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the scripture tells us that Jesus is the word of God, uh, manifest. And so if we want to hear and and, uh, see God, then we need to hear him through his word. So he speaks primarily to us through his word, but he can speak to us through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as the comforter and the counselor. He can speak to us through circumstances or through godly counsel and wisdom from other people in our lives, but he can also speak to us through dreams and visions, in fact, The book of Joel, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament told us of a time when the church was birthed in the book of Acts chapter 1 that was fulfilling the prophecy of the prophet Joel that in the last days that God will pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh and sons and daughters will prophesy and young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams so that includes every single one of us in this room based on our age and that's not just men, it's women as well on all flesh that We will have the Holy Spirit poured out, and we will see dreams and visions, and God can speak to us through those things. I would say, though, just with a caution and a warning, that any dream or vision or method that God speaks to you, it should align with His Word, that it will never contradict what God has already recorded for us in His written revelation in His Word. So through spiritual discernment and humility and just guidance and seeking the Lord, if God speaks to you through dreams and visions, hold on to those things. Take them to the Lord, filter them through Scripture, and see God work through you as he speaks. And Daniel has these visions and these dreams. And he describes them for us in verse 2. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now, it's, it's pretty interesting when you read apocalyptic, meaning end times, scriptures uh, and prophecies of of um, end times there's a lot of imagery and so we don't know uh, exactly um, some of the in other scriptures and we can of these words that are being used but we can also look at other scriptures and we can see that there's ver- verification and validation of what is being said now when you look at the Old Testament you can see the Hebrew narrative and scriptures talk about the seas as the nations of, 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 of humanity So not only that, but we see the great sea, it possibly could mean the Mediterranean Sea and the region of all of these kingdoms and the events that are being described in the book of Daniel. So it could be that uh, he's looking out over a picture of the Mediterranean Sea that he is familiar with. But um, these four winds are stirring up these great seas. So there's this idea of chaos and tumult and and confusion. That's where we would possibly get the understanding that this is also speaking of. When you follow through in the the prophecies and in the visions, we see that Daniel is speaking of nations and kingdoms that are going to rise and fall in this region and area. So we don't know exactly what these four winds are as well. Some speculate that it speaks of satanic powers and... We know that based on the presence of the Antichrist in the book of Revelation, that the Antichrist is given power by Satan. And so it could be that there's a a, a turmoil and a chaos because of spiritual forces, but it could be uh, God's power and his sovereignty. We've already seen that in the book of Daniel as a main theme of his control and power that's striving with men. But in this vision and in this scene, we see... These four great beasts, you can circle that because that's going to give you an outline for the verses to follow. Four great beasts come up out of the sea, each different from one another. And the first was like a lion. Everyone say lion. So you can circle that. That's the first one. And he had uh, eagle's wings. And I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the man's heart was given to it. And so um, what's interesting about this vision that Daniel sees, it's very similar to the vision that King Nebuchadnezzar saw with the statue. And so with Nebuchadnezzar's vision, he saw this great statue, and the head was of gold, and then the shoulders and the chest of of silver, and the waist of bronze, and the feet of iron. And it was a picture of these uh, different kingdoms. It's a very similar uh, interpretation and understanding. But what's interesting is that, when, when man looks at the powers on, on earth and authority, they see the statue. They see, you know, this, this success and, and power of men. But when God's uh, perspective, when God looks on the, the powers and the kingdoms of earth, he sees these ferocious beasts. Just things that um, devour and, and bring chaos and, and destruction. And uh, that's God's perspective. And so in this first uh, in this first beast, we see the lion with wings. Now, what's really interesting is that if you go to Babylon even today and you look at some of these artifacts that were discovered, the symbol of Babylon was a lion with eagle's wings. You can see that very clearly. And so this is a, a picture of the Babylonian Empire during the time of, of Daniel's uh, of writing. He was taken captive into Babylon. There's a lion with the wing. It's very very uh, very clear. However, these wings are plucked. And what's interesting is we've already studied during Nebuchadnezzar's time that he was humbled by the Lord. His power was plucked from him. And uh, he, was, he went insane in his, in his mind and he was driven from his kingdom for a, a period of time until he humbled his heart. Notice it talks about someone who was given a man's heart, a human heart, a heart uh, to be able to acknowledge the sovereignty and the power and the authority and the dominion of God. And that's what King Nebuchadnezzar did. So there's a picture. In fact, later on in this chapter, we see that the angel gives the interpretation to Daniel and says, these three, be-, excuse me, four beasts are kings. And here we have a picture of the Babylonian Empire as well as King Nebuchadnezzar and his story of being humbled by the Lord. Secondly, we see in verse uh, 5, and suddenly another beast, a second like it, a bear, everyone say bear, and it was raised up on one side, circle that phrase, that's important to understand, and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. Now we know, according to the rise and fall of kingdoms throughout this region and area, the Babylonians came to power, and after that, we actually studied when Belshazzar was sitting on his throne he saw a hand writing on the wall and that writing was a picture of God's judgment and that very night the Babylonian empire fell and the Medes and the Persians they came in through the campaign military campaign of Cyrus to destroy and to take captive Babylon and so many others and so whereas the lion we speak of this devouring strength we see the bears is just crushing and the overwhelming sense of its size and strength and cruelty. And uh, what we know about the Medes and the Persians is that they their thirst for blood. They were so powerful and uh, so cruel. And and yet uh, we see this bear as a picture of the Medes and the Persians. What's interesting on a couple of things in this vision of the bear is that it was raised up on one side. And uh, many scholars believe that this is speaking of the Persians in the Medes and the Persians, because the Persians were the most dominant uh, empire between the two. The Medes only lasted just a little bit of time. But the Persians, they're just the conquering conquest of the Persians through Cyrus, uh, was so very powerful. So there's a picture of the Persians that uh, had the more uh, power and, and dominance. But then there's this rib. Now we don't know exactly what this means, these three ribs. But uh, we do now know that the Persians, through their conquest, they had three very powerful um, victories in their empire. One was the Babylonians, two were the Egyptians, and three uh, were the, were, was the city of Lydia. And so it's pretty fascinating when you look at the visions that Daniel is having and how those are bearing out in history when it unfolds later on. So we have the lion representing uh, Babylon. We have the bear representing the Medes and the Persians. And then verse six. And after this, I looked, and there was also another, like a leopard. Everyone say leopard, which had on its back four wings. So that's important. Whenever you see repetition, it speaks of, um, it's just uh, accentuating or highlighting the uh, significance of, of these wings four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads. And dominion when, was given to it. So we have this third beast, the leopard. And after the Medes and the Persians, they fell to the Greek Empire. And if uh, you know any bit of history, you know that uh, the Greek Empire expanded under the rule and reign of Alexander the Great. And by the age of 28 years old, he had conquered the, um, the known world at the time in the Mediterranean area, in the region and uh, it's very powerful, 28 years old. Now, he died just a couple years later, I believe around 31 years old, from sickness, typhoid, or something like that. And what happened after his death is that the Greek empire was divided up into four regions. Uh, it was the uh, uh, Syria, Macedonia, Asia Minor, and, um, and Egypt. And so when you see some of these characteristics described of this leopard, uh, you know, a leopard has the idea of someone who's who uh, crouches and, and, and springs on their their, uh, their enemy. But with the four wings, it's also a picture of the swiftness and power and and so, so very quick. And uh, we see that with Alexander the Great and, and the Greek Empire just swiftly taking over nations. But then the four heads is a picture of the, the Greek Empire that is destroyed and is divided into four regions and areas. So... We see these rise and these falls of various kingdoms in history. And after this, verse 7: After this, I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, and exceedingly strong. Now, we don't have an animal that's described here, but um, we have a description of this beast: dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong. And it had huge iron teeth. Now, that's an indication for us that it is also a part of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Uh, When he looked at the feet in the great statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had, it was made of iron mixed with clay, and it had ten toes. It was very similar to Daniel's vision here of uh, the iron that's uh, mixed in. as a picture of power and force and might and strength. Uh, But also in the ten toes we see here in Daniel's vision, there are ten horns. And so uh, they are devouring and breaking to pieces, trampling and the residue with its feet. And it was, it was different from all the other beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And we know that the Roman Empire followed the Greek Empire. And it was d- different because of its just vast stretch and reach. Of, um, of its strength and it, of its en- enduring, for a thousand years, enduring um, power and dominion, conquering all other kingdoms and nations. But there's these ten horns. And as I was considering the horns, there was another horn, a little horn, coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by its roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now this is where Daniel's vision goes beyond the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. We're given insights into future events that have yet to transpire. These, de- these events uh, are described in the Great Tribulation and the end times. And so here we have this picture. We're going to be told about this individual. Now notice that this horn is given the uh, eyes of a man and the mouth of, of a man. So we're told that this horn is speaking of a person or of an individual. And that they rise to power, conquering all other kings. We're told later by the angel that these ten horns are dealing with ten kings. And so uh, this is the vision Daniel has. We're going to give an interpretation. But notice what happens at this point in the text. There's a pause. We see these kingdoms rise and fall. But now we're given this glimpse, this picture of the throne room of heaven. It really reminds me in the book of uh, Revelation, if you're familiar with uh, John's uh, account and revelation of the throne room of heaven he says on the Lord's day I was taken up I was raptured up into heaven and I saw this this vision of the throne room of heaven and the the glory and the majesty and the pearls of lightning and and the flashes and the sea of glass and this is just this beautiful picture here that we see that Daniel has of the same vision and he describes it here in verse 9 notice what he says and I watched till thrones were put in place. And I wonder if these thrones were the 24 thrones that were established around the one main throne in the throne room of heaven, the one that the Ancient of Days sits on, the God, uh, creator God, who sits on. And around these thrones, we um, we have these 24 thrones with the elders and and uh, the, the apostles, and they're sitting on thrones, and we see this courtroom. I, I guess the picture and the image of a throne is a sense of judgment, or of sentencing, or of determining uh, certain things. And here God is sitting on his throne. There's another picture I love um, in Isaiah's uh, account, where he says, when um, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And it's just this beautiful picture of of God sitting on the throne that nothing is uh, going to thwart his will and his purpose. And the Ancient of Days was seated. It's a reference to his eternal nature, God's eternal nature. And we know that there's a distinction here because we're told later on that there is a Son of Man who approaches the Ancient of Days. And the word Son of Man is used not only by Jesus during his earthly ministry, but also by King Nebuchadnezzar. When he looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sitting or standing in the fiery furnace, he said, "There looks like there's one like the Son of Man who's walking around with these boys in the fiery furnace." So the Ancient of Days, Creator God, sitting on the throne, seated, and his garment was white as snow; his hair of his head was like pure wool, and his throne was a fiery flame. You know, Ezekiel tells us of these fiery. angels, these cherubim, that constantly are worshiping God in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And there are these coals and fires and just an awesome scene when you think about what is actually happening right now, even right now. All of heaven worshiping and honoring and praising God. The fiery flames and the wheels burning, verse 10, a fiery stream issued It's kind of like this, almost like a lava flow that's coming out of the the throne of God, issued and came forth from before him. And a thousand, look at this, a thousand thousands ministered to him. Just try to imagine this picture of all the angels just ministering and serving and worshiping and honoring and praising and doing the will of the Ancient of Days who sits on the throne so there's these angels ministering, but then 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Here's a picture of the vast expanse of humanity standing before God. And the court was seated. Now we know what's actually happening here. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Can you imagine what kind of books these were? The big books. Books were opened. And the court was seated. So now we know that this picture was given to us so that we could see that God is in control. He's sovereign. But also that he's going to reckon all wrongs. He is going to establish his kingdom. He is going to examine all that has taken place. And all these people, uh, is a picture of Potentially the great white throne of God's judgment. There's a couple of different thrones described in the scriptures. The great white throne of judgment. That those who have not given their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ stand before a, a just God who would bring that judgment. We don't want to talk about judgment. It seems pretty harsh and intense. But not only is God loving, but he's also just. And if he's just, he's got to bring that judgment against sin. But the beautiful and good news is that Jesus Christ stepped in and took the judgment that we deserved. The Son of Man comes and approaches the throne. The Son of Man does the will of His heavenly Father. The Son of Man takes the penalty and the punishment that we deserve so that we could have life, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be born again. And these books are open. There's a couple of books that are actually mentioned in the Bible. Uh, One is, a book of remembrance in Malachi chapter 3. That uh, anytime you're sitting around talking with somebody about the scriptures or praying for one another or encouraging one another, there's a book of remembrance that God is uh, spying in, so to speak, on your conversations. He's tapping into those things and he's journaling all those moments. There's a book of remembrance. When you praise God, when you honored God, when you pleased the Lord, it was pleasing to him. And he took note. He wrote it down. But there's also another book. It's called The Lamb's Book of Life. And I think that's interesting because we see all these ferocious beasts uh, described here in Daniel chapter 7. And uh, there's a couple of descriptions used uh, to talk about Jesus. One is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Power, conquer, uh, the king of kings and lord of lords. But Jesus chose when he came to planet earth, during his earthly ministry, he chose not to come as a conquering king, but to come as a suffering servant, to come as a lamb of God. And you remember that same story and picture in, when um, John had a vision of the throne room of heaven that everybody there was silence in heaven for like an hour. Was it an hour or half hour? I can't remember. But can you imagine this, the overwhelming sense of grief and awe of what was about to happen because everything just went silent in heaven? And there was weeping and everyone was looking around. Who is worthy to open the scrolls? The judgment of God, the fulfillment of God, the, un- the, un- the unrolling of his plan and purpose. And then we're told that everyone looked and they turned and they saw a lamb that was slain, still with the scars, wounded. Behold, the lamb of God, John Baptist said. Behold, the lamb of God, when he looked at Jesus and he saw him coming, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus identified as the lamb, the one who would suffer and come for us so that our names would be written in the lamb's book of life. It's a record and a recording of those who have by faith surrendered their hearts and lives to the lamb who was slain for you, the blood who flowed for you, the salvation and the deliverance was given for you. So the question is, is your name written in the lamb's book of life? Is it recorded there? You know, there was another, I can't remember, it was a prophet or somebody said, don't blot my name out of your book. I don't want you to blot my name out. And that's a, it's an interesting thing because as humans, we think that can happen. But the power and the grace and the goodness and the love of God in our lives, there is neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come that can ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sure you may fail, sure you may make mistakes, sure you may stumble, but it's the grace of God that gives you second chance after second chance after fresh start after fresh start that picks you up when you've fallen and scraped your knees and knocked your teeth out and you're bleeding and bloody. That's the picture of the good Samaritan. We were beaten and left for dead on the side road, but the good Samaritan, Jesus Christ, came. He picked us up and put us on where he should be seated on his donkey, He put us on the donkey. He put us where he should be seated. He paid the price so we could be in a place of healing and restoration and be mended by his grace. Your name, written in the book of life. The books were opened. The Bible also says there's another throne. For those who have received the gift of grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not a work, so that no one can boast. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that means you, whosoever, would believe in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. There's another throne where Jesus, we come back and we give all of our crowns and victories and successes back to him. Where we give an account before the Lord. And friends, let me just say, there is no good that can outweigh the sin of humanity. But because of that, Jesus stepped in. and He conquered He lived a perfect and sinless life. He enabled us to have our names written with ink that cannot be erased, that cannot be wiped out. It's not like this invisible ink. It's not like a pencil where it can be erased. When Jesus, that's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You can have your name written not only in the Lamb's book of life, but also be born again because of what Jesus Christ, the books were open. So when the books are open, it can be very fearful or it can be very joyful. Fearful because our lives are not right with the ancient of days, with the Son of Man, with the, with the judgment of God and the justice of God. But joyful because we know that as the uh, advocate of our souls, Jesus Christ stands before the ancient of days and gives the account for us and says, yeah, that's right. That son, that daughter, they did those things. But I'm here to plead their case. I'm here to step in their place. They're forgiven. They're washed. They're delivered. They're set free. I've already paid the penalty and the price. That's joy. That's good when the books are opened. There's this vision. A vision of beasts but a vision of God, God who loves, God who's powerful, God is almighty, and the story goes on to speak about this uh, beast that is conquered, and uh, he's given power for a season. But look at verse 13. I mentioned the Son of Man. I just want to read that to you. And I was watching in the night vision. Behold, one like the Son of Man coming with clouds of heaven. Now that's a picture of Jesus coming in the second coming. The first coming he came as a suffering servant, but now Jesus even said, when he ascended up into heaven with the disciples after he rose from the dead, he said, just as you see me going, you're gonna see me coming. So look up, look up, child, look up, be ready. Be ready for the coming. Uh, It could happen at any moment. Son of man coming in the clouds, and uh, the last trumpet, the voice of an archangel, the dead in Christ rising, ever to be with the Lord, In the air he came to the Ancient of Days, submission to the will of his Father, and they brought him near before the throne. And then to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom and power that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. This is the contrast between the kingdoms of the world and the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ. Everlasting, it does not end. We read the scriptures in Isaiah chapter 9 during Christmas time, that uh, upon the shoulders of Jesus, the government will rest. Upon his shoulders, uh, he will rule and he will reign everlasting. The Bible also says that every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Now Daniel's confused about this. We're just going to close with this because... Our time is coming to a close. But Daniel is confused about this. And he asks one of the angels. He said, what is going on here? Look at with me in verse 17. Those great beasts which are four, are four kings. Which arise out of the earth. We've already mentioned them. But the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom. And possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. And then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast. Now he goes on to describe that. But in verse uh, 23 We're told about the interpretation of this beast. The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings, who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue the three kings. He shall speak pompous words, so blasphemous, against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall indeed try to change times and laws. And then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and a half. Now what's interesting about these words time, time and a half most scholars believe it's dealing with a three and a half year period the word time dealing with a one year times multiple two years and a half Uh, and yet when you look at the book of Revelation dealing with the Antichrist and this individual who uh, wages war against God as well as God's people during the great tribulation period described by Jesus in um, Matthew chapter 24 we're told about events describing the end times, is that um, the book of Revelation gives us another way of looking at this. Daniel says three and a half years. Revelation tells us 1,260 days. Um, And uh, we're also told that uh, this period of time is described by 42 months. So it's basically the same way of saying uh, three and a half years. And during this three and a half year period, we see an individual rise up. He is given power and authority. He fights against God as well as God's people. It's terrible. It's um, devouring. He's defying. We're told about not only in the book of Daniel, but Jesus verifies this as well, of the uh, desecration that causes desolation. There is a blasphemy against God described by this little horn. He's given eyes and a mouth. Uh, There's this uh, individual, this human that uh, comes to fight and to consume. But we're told, based on this three and a half year period, that the rule of the Antichrist is limited. It's limited to a specific time. It's also limited to um, a scope, a degree. And it's limited so that God can bring the judgment against this individual. Look what me in verse 26 will close here. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. And then the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to people, to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So, how do you guys know, or how do you guys like knowing how the story ends? Pretty good, right? We know. That God's kingdom is established. But we also know, when you tie these scriptures together, that there is coming a time upon planet Earth that will be exceedingly difficult. A time that Jesus says is like no other because of the persecution, because of the laws we're told that were even uh, attempted to be changed. The laws of time and uh, the laws that are are changed by the Antichrist in order to bring about the purpose and the plan of God. However, we can know and we can have hope and trust and assurance and peace that God is in control, that his throne is above any other throne, and even though kingdoms rise, they will ultimately fall to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, The one who is going to make all wrongs right. The one who is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. The one who is going to restore all things for his glory and for his purpose. So with that, I'll have our worship team come on up and close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you how impressive it is. And how you have revealed certain truths to us to give us just enough to trust you and follow you. And we thank you, Lord, that um, not only can we trust you, but we can also trust your word. That your word is verified and validated by what has happened in the world around us. So may we take comfort today in this message. Take comfort in knowing that you control all earthly powers. May we also take seriously the great throne of God's judgment and God's power against sin. May we ensure that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Written not with black or blue ink, but with the red ink of Jesus' blood shed for you and I on the cross of Calvary. And may we also take precaution, being ready. I think this gives us, once again, another wake-up call as Christ followers to look heavenward, to look upward, And to be ready for the return of Jesus. And that means that we get our lives right with God. The Ancient of Days. The one who's on the throne. But also the one who has come close to us. He's God with us. Emmanuel. Walking with us. To take seriously the accounts described for us in the end times. So that we are not deceived. So that we are not caught off guard. But that we are ready for the return of our Lord and Savior. Thank you that we have victory in you. We love you, and it's in
0: Jesus' name.
1: And we all said, amen. Amen.
0: Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info@questsd.com at to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.